The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. Hey guys, welcome back to the Way BK podcast. We're talking about following in the way of Jesus. And today we're in Mark chapter six. We're looking at a number of stories here that really show uh, what is a common theme throughout the book of Mark. And that is um, Jesus overcoming evil with good. But even though Jesus keeps doing good, he keeps facing rejection for it. Um, and actually, it's not just Jesus in this chapter that ends up facing rejection for the good that he does. So we're going to look at a series of stories here that kind of highlight um, the rejection Jesus faces. But uh, I don't know. Isn't it true, Ben? This is just the way the world works. Oftentimes in life, you can do good. That doesn't mean it will be received as good or appreciated as good. And those who aren't doing good may actively seek your harm. That's right. Rewind the rewind the clock all the way back to the very, well, I guess the very second Bible story ever, Cain and Abel. The reason Cain killed his brother Abel was because Abel did good, Cain did not. And Cain rejected his own blood brother um, and killed him for it. Right. That kind of sets off, that, that just... Uh, sets the standard for how it rolls all the way through human history. And we know that even today, we go through all kinds of historical, social examples. Everybody has personal examples of when you do good, a lot of times it gets rejected. Right. And Jesus, and like you said, others here in John, uh, Mark chapter six, uh, we see that in a big way. Good. So let's start by reading uh, chapter six, uh, verses one to six. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. Let me just pause for a second and say, if there's ever a place you'd love to be received well, it would be your hometown, right? Verse two, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked, what's the wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own home. And he could, do, he could not do any miracle there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Wow, what a homecoming Jesus experienced here. Uh, what, do you, what what stood out to you about the reaction of the uh, disciples or of the of the people of Nazareth to uh, to Jesus coming back home? Well, I mean, to your point, we would think hometown. This should be great. Jesus has come back. It's been a while. You know, these people clearly knew him when he was growing up. They can name off all of his siblings. You see a similar passage in Matthew chapter thirteen. Uh, that I think uh, yeah mentions the same names and all that kind of stuff. Um, and not only that, he's, at least in our parlance, he's at church. You know, if anybody right. is going to accept you uh, in the synagogue in his days. And right. we know from Luke's account of this story in Luke chapter four, that it was Jesus' custom 
to go into the synagogue. So Jesus would do this kind of stuff. He's reading scripture. He's teaching from scripture, all this sort of thing. Um, you would think this would be exactly the place people would receive Jesus, but they don't. And the noteworthy thing to me is, um, at least here in Mark's account, and since we're here in Mark, we'll just keep it focused here. There's things to pull maybe from the other ones, but at least uh, I'll, to me, the thing I'm focusing on here is uh, they rejected him because of who they perceived him to be, or I guess maybe say who they thought he ought to be. Right. What are you doing teaching us like this? And like I said, you can, there's more about that in Luke chapter four. It's really interesting to see the stuff that Jesus had to say, but it's clear. That they're like, Hey, wait a second. You're just the kid from down the block. You're not supposed to be the guy that you're saying that you are to us or telling us the stuff that you're telling us. That's not the role you're supposed to play. They rejected him because they thought he was supposed to be one thing and he was not that thing. Sad. They missed out on the really, really good thing that was right in front of them but they reject him because he didn't match up the expectations of what they thought he ought to be. And this is the part that just really just is insane to me. What are they, what are the charges against him? Like, what is it that he's doing that is so infuriating? He's wise and he's doing miracles. Like yeah. this guy's doing good. Like right, he, right, right. he's coming to help. What is wrong with you that you, that your reaction to a man who, who, who is using his wisdom to teach people how to serve God and, and using his power to actually do good, to heal people. Um, what, what, what is it within us that could make us respond in such a way? I do think we'll see in other places, and it may be evident here, sometimes it's jealousy. Ah, I wish it was me. It should be me with that kind of wisdom. I wish people listened to me like they listened to him. I wish I could do the miracles, the powerful signs, the the great works that he's doing. Um, but man, how sad it is um, that uh, that Jesus has wisdom and power to offer this town, but they actually don't get to experience the full blessing of that because of their response to it and because of their offense at it. Yeah. Well, and to your point right there, because they reject Jesus' wisdom, they reject his power, they reject his goodness, they reject who he really is compared to what they thought he ought to have been or what they thought he was. It says there in verse uh, five, he could do no mighty work there. Not only that means like, oh, there he's like, you know, Tinkerbell from Peter Pan. Oh, it's his power fades out because people don't believe. No, it's I think the implication is nobody wanted him to do anything. They didn't bring anybody. They didn't ask for any healing. He was not able to do it because they were not receiving it, except right. some. And it's some of the, the people who did receive his goodness, the sick people and, and so on and so forth, that he's able to do a little bit there. And then he has to just move on and go teach in other places in verse uh, six. The end of it says, but that, that first line of verse six, he marveled or was amazed because of their unbelief. Um, to my knowledge, there's only two occasions where the, the text, the, the, the gospel say that Jesus was amazed or marvels at something. And one time is in, I think it's Luke seven um, that talks about him being amazed at a Gentile's great faith and how great it is. Maybe in Matthew eight, I forget which, which account right. it says that he marveled. Um, but the other time it says he marveled is right here and how weak their faith was at their rejection of him. How could you, <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, and now Jesus knew he says, well, Prophets get honored everywhere except their hometowns, but it's still amazing that they would reject him, as you said, when he's demonstrating his wisdom, when he's demonstrating his power, when he's demonstrating his goodness, and they still reject him for it.
And I guess this is a good reminder too that sometimes there are blinders. There are there are reasons why people cannot believe. Um, there there are reasons why people cannot come to faith. It's not for a lack of evidence here. The man's doing miracles. He's doing stuff they haven't seen in this town uh, in, the, in its history. Um, you know, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? They ain't never seen nothing like this in the history of the town. But because of this stubbornness, because of their, um, you know, whatever it is that's within their heart that's that's causing them to be offended at him, they are refusing to admit what is actually true. And, and therefore they lack faith. Um, of course, Jesus makes it pretty clear to the disciples um, that the same thing he goes through in Nazareth, they're going to experience too. The very next story is Jesus going from te teaching from village to village and then calls the 12 to them. And he begins to send them out to do the very same things. He right. gives them authority over impure spirits. He tells them, take nothing for your journey um, except a staff. You're not going to break any, bring any bread or bag or money or belts. You're going to trust that the God is going to provide for you on this journey. Um, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Um, but then he says, hey, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And the thing that gets me about that is Jesus tells them, hey, you're going to experience the same thing. They're going to be towns that receive you and are willing to accept your, your message and are impressed by your miracles and therefore willing to willing to hear you out. And there are going to be other people who will not welcome you and who will not listen to you. And isn't that still true today? The same thing is true today for people who are following Jesus. If you follow Jesus and you do the good works that Jesus did and you preach the good words that Jesus did, don't expect that you're always going to be loved for it and always appreciated for the good works that you do. And this traces almost all the way back to some of Jesus' earliest teaching. In the Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 10 of chapter 5, Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in case any of the disciples might have thought, yeah, good for those persecuted people, he says in verse 11, Blessed are you. Right. Others revile you and persecute you and utterly uh, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And right here in Mark chapter six, Jesus attaches his story to the legacy of the prophets. And then, like you said, he says to his followers, hey, if you're going to follow me, this is part of your story, too. You're going to do good and you're going to be rejected for it. That's right. Get ready for it. And frankly, figure out how to be happy about it. You know, find joy. Be glad about that. And to their credit, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons. They anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And, and what's impressive, if I'm seeing the way Jesus is getting treated here, I'm a little worried about what, what it means for him to do that work. And that's what God wants us to do today as well. Um, another faithful man of God. He's been preaching and teaching the word of God boldly and courageously. Um, and you might think, well, somebody that's been willing to to uh, to preach the gospel so um, diligently and boldly, you know, good things are coming for him. You know, <laughs> good is ahead uh, for him. But um, we find out in in Mark chapter six, beginning verse 14 of what ended up happening to John the Baptist. Uh, King Herod hears about the things that 
Jesus is doing. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he's a little concerned. The Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that's why miraculous powers are, are at work in him. Um, but when Herod hears this, he's a little concerned. And we find out here that actually he beheaded John. Um, well, why did he behead John? The story goes on to tell us that Herod had John arrested and put in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom Herod had stolen and married himself. And John, in his faithfulness to the witness that God had given him to, to give to the people around, John, in his faithfulness to that witness, had told Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. There are many commands of God that people love to ignore or love to um, just forget about um, to cover up or to uh, pass over or to ignore dealing, just to not deal with our, our sin issues. And this is one of them. God's commands about divorce back then and also today are often completely ignored. But John, in his faithful courage, has stood up and said to Herod, not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Long story short, what ends up happening is Herodias nurses a grudge against him. Um, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper as time goes on until the point where she's trying to think about how can I kill this guy? Um, but she wasn't she wasn't able to because Herod had feared John and, and was protecting him. He knew this is a righteous and a holy man. He knew that what he was doing was not right. But isn't that the way it often goes? Sometimes there's a part of us that wants to do what is right, but there's another part of us that's torn because of our love for other things. In this case, another woman. Um, and so finally an opportunity came for her to get what, get what she wanted. Um, Herod gives a banquet on his birthday. Everybody's, all the important people are there for it. And uh, Herodias's daughter comes in and dances. Um, I'm assuming not a... Uh, not a godly dance here that's going on. Um, and this is so messed up and, and, and so corrupt that Herod is so pleased by the dance that he offers her anything you want up until half the kingdom. And what does she ask for? She goes to her mom. Hey, what should I ask for? And her mom tells her what to say, the head of John the Baptist. I don't know about you, Ben. It's kind of scary to think about. Um, a story like this. Here's a man who's done, faithfully done the will of God and it ends in his beheading. Um, wow. Um, what are we supposed to take away from that? Well, I mean, like you said, this really just follows in the legacy of Jesus' rejection at Nazareth, the promise of the disciples being rejected as they do the work of Jesus. And then here it points back kind of saying, oh yeah, by the way, we're not surprised by this. This happened to John. John, who was, by the way, accepted by everybody. Go back to Mark chapter one. Great crowds, multitudes were coming out to John when he was in the wilderness. I mean, they had to go on a little pilgrimage to go see him and bay him baptized and confessing their sins and all this kind of stuff. He was wildly popular. And he was such a good man. I mean, he was preaching the gospel before the gospel had even come to fruition yet. Um, you know, he baptizes Jesus, but only on protest. Uh, we know from the gospel accounts, he didn't want the fame. He didn't want it. He wanted Jesus to increase and that he would decrease. All a wonderful, a wonderful man, a really wonderful man. And obviously this story, as you outlined, a man who stood up and spoke truth to power, 
but not for his gain and not for anybody's gain, just for God's sake. I mean, like nobody was going to win. This wasn't when we think about it, speaking to politicians, speaking truth to power. It's usually so the people can win or the people can do better. John just did this because it was right and it was good and it was in God's. It was the right thing to say, according to the Lord. Um, the thing to me that stands out in this, though, is that we see all the doing good and the rejection for that. But while those who do good are going to be rejected or going to be mistreated or going to be persecuted, those who do evil seem to be doing great. Yep. Herod's still in power. He's having a good time with this woman that he stole to make his wife away from his brother. Um, he and all his buddies are there partying, having a lavish banquet. And like you said, I mean, I'd like to imagine this was some sort of artistic ballet that that, uh, that she did, but it sure doesn't seem that way. And the the, the story seems that this is uh, sensual and sexual in nature. Um, and so and she, this girl is successful in kind of claiming power over all these powerful men. They're really, she's got them in the palm of her hand to do whatever she wants and so she's doing great in the world's eyes. She really has power over these men due to her her uh, her performance here. And then Herodias, she's certainly in power because she she wins by having John the Baptist's head on a platter. When you get to the end of chapter or the end of this story, you kind of think, man, I guess the bad people win. I guess that's right. the the story that if you do good, you lose. You get rejected. You get persecuted. You get mistreated. If you do bad, you win, you gain, you get whatever you want. And that's the way it honestly looks a lot of times. And you can hear many scriptures that speak to this. Psalm 73, almost the entirety of the book of Job, people wrestle this big time. Why, why do I get punished, essentially, for doing good stuff? Meanwhile, unrighteous people get rewarded. And Psalm 73, I think, is helpful here because it, it kind of shows the perspective in the moment, it's easy to look and say, hey, wow, these people, the wicked, they're always at ease. They're increasing in wealth. Must be vain for me to do all this work, to keep my heart pure, to keep to be innocent, um, because I'm only getting stricken all day long for it. What I love about that particular psalm is uh, that Asaph eventually, he says, I, was, I, I pondered this, I was troubled uh, by this until, until I came into the sanctuary of God. And then I perceived their end. Ultimately, God is going to bring judgment. We don't always get to see that at the time. And that's difficult to. But ultimately, God is going to bring about judgment upon the wicked. Ultimately, Herod and his kingdom disappeared. Meanwhile, John the Baptist, the kingdom he was preaching has still endured till the end. And, and, and I think that's important for us. Because actually what God wants us to do in moments like this is to exercise faith. When we see that everything we're doing that is, that is good is being uh, attacked or is being responded to with rejection or persecution, what God wants us to recognize is that though it may seem like evil is winning, eventually good will overcome evil. Um, and so God wants us to continue to do good. I think about Romans 12, um, the Romans 12 verse 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking about, hey, 
my cousin John just got beheaded. Maybe this is my time. Maybe my hour has come now. And I'm going to pick up the sword. I'm going to get on a horse. I'm going to ride into Jerusalem. I'm going to put Herod in his place. Um, listen to this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't it interesting that the very next story in the Gospel of Mark is a story of Jesus doing just that? Um, you might say, well, these aren't his enemies. These are just the crowds. These are just the people. Um, but Romans 5 reminds us that we are all enemies of God because of our sin. What I love about Jesus is Jesus does not allow the evil being done to him, to his disciples, to John the Baptist, to stop him from the good work that he's doing for the glory of God. And so we get the story in chapter 6, verse 30, where the apostles are gathering around Jesus and they're reporting all that they've done and they taught. But people are coming and going that so much so that they don't even have a chance to eat. Um, and, and, and so Jesus says, hey, let's get away. Let's get some quiet time. Let's get some rest. And they go away to a solitary place. But the people, as they see them going away by boat, the people see it and they run all the way around to the, to the point that when Jesus gets to the other side and get, starts to get off the boat, there's already a crowd there waiting for him. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, I'm like, look, bro, y'all got to come back tomorrow. Like, we need a break. Y'all need to chill. We've You've had plenty of opportunity to hear our teaching. Um, give us some time alone, but not Jesus. When Jesus looked at them, when he looked at his enemies, these crowds who are out there, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. And he began to teach them. By this time, it's late in the day, though. So the disciples are coming to him. They're like, hey, this is a remote place. We need to send people away so they can go get something to eat. Um, and Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. They say, we ain't got no money for that. We, it take more than a half a year's wages. Um, uh, are we going to spend go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Five, two fish. And with that, Jesus directs them to have the people sit down in groups. And he takes the five loaves and two fish. He looks up to heaven, gives thanks, breaks the loaves, and shares it with all the people. And everybody eats, and everybody is satisfied. What a story. Yeah. And the thing I love about it, I, I think you're right on that this story illustrates the, the principle that, hey, just because you're being rejected for doing good, don't stop. Do more good. But I also love Jesus doesn't, uh, the conclusion is not, guys, this is not working. Right. Uh, teaching is being rejected. John, even John was rejected and he was Mr. Popular. I mean, Herod was even kind of afraid to kill him initially. That's why he didn't get killed right off the bat is because Herod kind of liked him and and knew the people liked him. And so he didn't want to, now, whenever the people come, verse 34 says, Jesus taught them. Uh, before that, verse 34 says he had compassion on them. Just like he'd had compassion on the the leper from chapter one or compassion on all the people that we saw in chapter five, Jesus kept on showing compassion. 
he kept on teaching just like he's been doing all throughout the gospel. That's why what I came to do, he said, chapter one, verse 38. So he just keeps on doing that. Um, He keeps on providing for people just like he raised up the paralytic, just like he all these people had different needs to get provided for. These people were hungry since they had come to hear him teach. He provided for that need. He just kept doing the good he'd already done. It's easy whenever we face some kind of rejection for doing good. Not only do we think, well, it looks like doing bad gets you better results than doing good, but or it, it, maybe we get past that thought. Okay, no, I can't do bad. I need to keep doing good. But maybe I'm being rejected because I'm not doing the right kind of good stuff or I need to change up my approach or whatever. Maybe you do. I mean, I should examine that. Am I doing things God's way? But if I am doing things God's way, don't think that the response from other people means that I'm doing something wrong. Right. Jesus kept teaching. He kept showing compassion. He kept providing people needs. He kept doing mighty works. He just kept doing the stuff that he was rejected for in Nazareth, that he would be rejected for ultimately in the cross one day in the future. I mean, but it didn't change the fact that this was the good stuff and he needed to keep on doing the good, even in the face of a world that was rejecting good. And the same goes for his followers. We can't think, oh man, people are rejecting whatever the message we're preaching, the good deeds that we're doing, the moral stances we take as we follow after Jesus, whatever the case may be, and think, ah, oh, this isn't working. We need to modify. We need to try a different approach. No, you just keep persevering. You just keep doing good and you overcome that evil with good, trusting that God's going to make that work out in the end. Uh, don't try to reinvent the wheel or think that something's wrong with what you're doing. You just keep on doing what God's shown you to do and what God's told you to do and let him work out the rest. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I, I really think those words of Paul are just so helpful here. You know, there, there, there's at least three things I'm uh, I'm thinking about here that I think are really helpful when we're being rejected for doing good. Number one is don't repay anyone evil for evil. All right. It's tempting when I'm doing good and I get rejected for it is to feel especially justified in, in that moment to do evil. I'm just doing good here. You're going to treat me that way. I have a right to respond um, in, in a way that's unloving or hateful or, or hurtful to you. Um, but no, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Um, then second is leave room for the wrath of God. That is know that eventually God is going to bring about judgment for those people who refuse to repent uh, of their wickedness. God's justice is coming for them. God is going to bring vengeance. Um, and I need to leave room for him to do that. For a couple of reasons. Number one, because I'm not in a good position to enact justice upon other people, particularly when I'm the one being hurt. Sometimes I may be uh, responding uh, in a way that is not just at all um, to, because of my hurt feelings or emotions. But then number two, uh, our desire should not be for God to destroy, but to show the same mercy that he's shown us to the people who are hurting us. Um, we too have been it, it have have rejected God. We too have uh, disobeyed God. We have done evil to Him, and when we did that, aren't we glad and aren't we thankful that He overcame our evil with good and did not repay us with evil? In the same way, um, we need to leave room for God's wrath. Let God deal with it, and then lastly, overcome evil with good. As you just said, wow, this is our opportunity. I'm being rejected. People are doing evil to me. What greater opportunity than that to follow in the way of Jesus, 
and to follow in his footsteps and to live like him by loving our enemies, by doing good to them, by feeding them, giving them something to drink, showing them unexpected kindness um, when we're being reviled in return. Yep. So, I mean, I think just a couple more thoughts, like take home things that are helpful for me from this whole set of stories. Um, Whenever you're doing good and you get rejected for it, as we've been saying, keep on doing good. Um, But also don't just keep trying to do good there. Move on. Verse six, Jesus went to other towns to teach because they wouldn't hear him in Nazareth. Verse 11, he tells his disciples, if they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and go on, go on somewhere else. Uh, And then even here, Jesus doesn't go knock on Herod's door to preach to Herod. Herod clearly is not receiving the truth. So Jesus goes away somewhere else and finds these people in this desolate place, or I should say these people follow him and find him out there. Um, if, if Keep doing good, but don't try to cram it down the same person's throat or in the same situation. Go find some other way or arena to do good and keep doing compassion and telling the truth and being a good example and all the things that we need to do um, that we may be rejected for. I think the other practical thing is when I'm trying to do good, when I'm trying to continue doing good, even after I've been rejected or mistreated for it, um, don't try to do it by yourself. Jesus sends the disciples out in verse seven, two by two, two by two, not one on one on one. It's a little harder to get rejected when you're by yourself. It's a little easier to deal with rejection when you got somebody there with you. That's right. Jesus, in verse uh, uh, 30, the apostles returned to Jesus. And then verse 31, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. He, after hearing of the death of his, uh, his cousin and his, in some ways, predecessor, uh, John, he has the disciples go away with him. Uh, lean on others who are also trying to do good. Talk with others about the rejections you're facing, about the rejections they're facing, about the good they're trying to do, about the good you're trying to do. Pray together, work together, partner with each other. He gets them. You give them something to eat. But of course, he was giving them something to eat, but they're working on it together. So I think when we try to continue doing good, um, find someone else to do good to. If you get rejected by somebody, go find somebody else to do good for and do do good towards um, and do it with other people that are also trying to do good and also are being rejected so that nobody's out here all on their own dealing with uh, with the consequence of this. And all of this will help us to keep on doing good and overcoming evil with good, even when we've been rejected. Yeah, amen, amen. And isn't it amazing that actually... In this story, in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see all the evidence we need um, to stir us to keep doing that. I mean, I I think about this. How do I know that in the end, good is going to overcome evil? How do I know for certain that if I keep persevering in this, that it will actually turn out as a blessing? How do I know that that, that wickedness is one day going to be punished? Well, the answer is, is seen at the end of our story, and this is where we're heading, right? The greatest evil that was ever done in the history of man turned out to be the greatest good that could ever happen to all of humanity because God overcame evil when Jesus was put on a cross and he overcame it with good. He used his death by raising him up from the dead to give life to all of humanity. We need to recognize that because remembering that God has already overcome the greatest evil and produced good from it will stir us then to continue to work alongside him to do good and to overcome evil with good. Amen.
Thanks, everybody. Really good to have you on. And uh, thanks for listening. Hope this is helpful for you. If there's anything we can ever do out do for you, just reach out to us. We'll be happy to help you. God bless. Thanks, Ryan. Catch you next time. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.